Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. I'm Mark Kastner. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast. Joined by my co-hosts, Mickey Turner, Susie Rantz, Tim Foss, Beth Mantle, and Dave Clark. This has been an extremely weird podcast. How are they going to be able to handle that? Just the bottom line is they don't have an answer to that. There was never really a time when I was super concerned. Seattle did fine. There's a reason they got signed to first team contract. Very special guest, Brian Spencer, head coach of the Seattle Sounder. You know who he is. Brian how are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this isn't my quote. I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra. He always says, tough times don't last, tough people do. Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I'm Tim Foss, filling in for Jeremiah O'Shan. Joining me today are Dave Clark and Mickey Turner. The Sounders got a 1-0 win over FC Dallas for their second straight win on the road and their sixth road win of the season. It's the first win in Dallas for Seattle since 2014, and the six road wins is the most the team's had since that same season. Uh, How are you guys feeling about that game now that we've all slept on it? Uh, I mean, it's not a game that anybody's going to frame on their wall, and I'm guessing that we'll all forget about it, uh, you know, approximately in about 24 more hours uh and it would be totally forgettable if it wasn't for uh the front runner for mvp doing what mvps do uh you know aside from that and obviously we'll talk about uh Raul in a minute here i'm sure but the game itself was you know i think it, it just said more about kind of this schedule congestion that the sounders are dealing with um and it, you know to be fair every team in mls is dealing with it and you know when Smetzer said that there he was going to rotate the squad, he kept to his word. And, you know, I think what's, what that has shown to me is that what they went through earlier in the, uh, in the summer when they were struggling, um, they were getting the kids a lot of playing time and they were kind of getting their feet under them for uh, long MLS seasons, uh, particularly Danny Leva and Josh Atencio, Atencio, who I thought played really well. Uh, Leva was okay. Uh, but Atencio, I think he just showed that he's got some of that grit and steel, which is why Smetzer trusts him. And that's why he was getting a lot of playing time early in the season before he got he got injured and he's worked his way back in. And so, yeah, it was just kind of a grinded out performance. And as Kellen Rowe and Smetzer both said after the game, this is one of those games that you're going to have during the season and it serves its purpose in a championship potential winning season. These are the types of games that you are going to have to get out to get a high seed. And you're probably going to need one of them in the playoffs when, you know, things kind of break down. And especially if you're the higher seed and the away team is coming in and and bunkering and you just have to find a way to kind of uh, grind it out. Now to be fair to Dallas, they were definitely on the front foot for most of the second half after uh, the Sounders scored. But again, that showed another side of the Sounders and where they've kind of uh, evolved since earlier in the season. This is a game that they gave up points to against Dallas at home. And this time around, they were able to uh, see out the win. I want to circle back a little bit to the training, the youth and everything. Getting all those guys tested was an important um, series of events earlier in the season. And it let Schmetzer know who could be rotated in for these rests like we saw with Danny josh and sissoko and as well who wasn't quite ready 
the extreme hardship calls, as well as uh, Reed Baker Whiting and Ethan Doubler. Um, those guys earned MLS deals, but I, I don't think we're going to see them getting starts throughout the season now. I think now that there's no longer the dramatic health concerns from earlier, Schmetzer knows he can tap Josh Atencio and Danny Leva and, and A.B. Sissoko and not have a, a reduction, in, a, a significant reduction in quality, whereas um, that's not necessarily the case with the other youth on the team. And it's it's a good it's a good learning for for Brian to know that he kind of maxes out at three youth, um, and and he knows which three those are going to be. Yeah, I think this game has drawn comparisons to the Austin win, where they went with a heavily rotated lineup, largely out of necessity, where you're playing multiple kids in the starting lineup you have a bunch of hardship call-ups in the not only in the lineup but in the 18 beyond that the team is healthier and guys are starting to come back and they still you know a rotated team looks a bit different now with everyone available again and you know, it still ultimately came down to a great performance by Spencer Ritchie, maybe not quite to the same level as Stephen Cleveland's performance in the Portland game, but he still made the saves that he needed to make. And, you know, uh, Raul Rui Diaz goal to salvage it coming on as a substitute, which I think that probably serves as a good transition point to start talking about Raul. <laughs> Uh, you know, 14 goals through 20 games. He, I know we've talked about this some previously on this podcast, but sometimes it's odd watching Raul over the course of a season where he racks up goals, but he doesn't ever really seem to hit a particular groove or to really, you know, get on a good run but he still is getting, you know, a couple games or a couple goals every few games. He went three games without scoring before Portland, but he seems like he's gone on absolute runs a couple times this season. And right now in particular is, you know, playing NBA jam rules and is on fire. Everything he hits goes in the net. Um, how big of a difference, Dave, do you think that makes for the rest of the Sounders? I know there's not really any one person picking up the load when he drops it, but it's got to be encouraging to have a guy like Raul available. One of the funny things about Raul's goal scoring is when we got him, everybody thought he was going to be a 20 goal scorer because he did it in Mexico and MLS is easier. And yet here we are in the first season where 20 goals from Raul Rui Diaz this is the first time that it actually seems probable. Um, he is a better player that understands this league better than ever before. Uh, some of that's form, some of that's education. I, I think some of it just has to do with the compressed schedule means that he, uh, I, I have a feeling he's the type that learns his opponents and gets better kind of in that baseball form there. There's those hitters that are, uh, second at-bat hitters versus first at-bat hitters. And he seems to be de definitely stronger the more he sees of a team. So it's going to be great. Uh, you mentioned a little bit that there's no secondary scorer really yet. Um, but watching Raul Ruiz Diaz 
uh, run towards the golden boot. Uh, he, he is a, one of the top four candidates for um, MVP, which is funny because during the first Sounders run, it was either Jao Paulo or, or Christian Roldan. Now it seems to be <laughs> pro Rudias. Uh, basically, the, whoever gets the, uh, the supporter shield is probably going to have the MVP because the other candidates are Gill and Pau out in uh, New England and then Saloy. Um, I've probably murdered pronunciations on all three of those guys um, in Kansas City. You know, the three best teams in the league, the player that's most important to them. So it's been uh, uh, it's it's great to have Raul in, in form and to be able to put him on and have his uh, second touch be a goal. Yeah, it was it was obviously funny. Uh, I think everyone had a kind of feeling that if the Sounders had gotten to the 60th minute or so, give or take. Um, and they were able to bring Raul in and then Nico, obviously, as well, that they were ha- they had a good chance of winning the game. Uh, obviously, we didn't expect that 20 seconds later um, uh, upon his entrance, he would he would float in a nice galazzo. Um, and you could tell, you know, if you're listening to the broadcast, uh, Casey Keller was kind of giggling after the uh, the goal just because it was so ridiculous to come in with your first touch and then, you know, score a goal like that. And yeah, and he's just, you know, he obviously was a great goal scorer uh, with Morella. He's been a great uh, goal scorer with the Sounders. Um, I think some of that, his, his recent form is probably because he realizes that he is the main option with not, with the Sounders not having necessarily the scoring punch that they probably hoped they would have had elsewhere. Uh, You know, and that's partially due to missing Jordan Morris, who was a good, good for a double digit scores and assists. I mean, like, you know, is able to, you know, create stuff on his own. He's able to score. He's able with his speed to be dangerous and open up stuff for other people. And they haven't had that. And, you know, we, uh, how long have we been talking about the lack of speed necessarily on the Sounders? Um, you know, Brad Smith and Madrend, I guess, to a lesser extent, provide a little bit of that, but not what Jordan Morris provides. And so with them missing that and not being able to replace it. Uh, hopefully, uh, Chu is able to provide some of that. Uh, but he's not, again, he's not going to be here until uh, the middle of September, essentially. And then are you really expecting him to do a whole lot uh, as he gets acclimated? Hopefully, he does. But, you know, just assuming that, you know, he takes some time to get acclimated, they don't have the second punch, scoring punch that they uh, probably would have liked to have had established by this point. And so that means that uh, Rui Diaz is going to pick up some of the additional load. And he has been able to do that, obviously, to uh, to the Sounders' benefit. And um, he probably will continue to be able to do that um, because he knows he needs to. Yeah, it does. I mean, it seems like he's also scoring a broader variety of types of goals. You know, we have seen lots of his... The, I think his second goal against Portland, those sort of poacher goals, the ones a striker absolutely needs to be able to finish. And he's had some magical, fantastic goals. His one against San Jose early on in his time with the Sounders stands out. And the Atlanta goal where he pulled out a sombrero on Miles Robinson and then finished beautifully. But we haven't really seen as much of the the distance goals that he started pulling out or, you know, the, this one last night seems it wasn't quite from distance, but that where it almost was like he did it on purpose, like 
took a shot with power with his left that was blocked and that drew the keeper out enough that he then was able to loft it in off of the, you know, double banked it. Um, he just seems to be growing more and more in confidence and, you know, taking on this role as the loving father figure that he has within the team um, with no, not really having another sort of immediate secondary scoring option. A lot more is required of the defense and, you know, the whole team plays defense. They play starting with whether it's Raul or Will Bruin or Freddie Montero, everyone on the defense or everyone on the team plays defense. But last night in particular, a couple guys who, you know, there are mixed feelings about, I think it is fair to say, but Javier Arriaga and Shane O'Neill both get their lumps for mistakes or, you know, maybe not being always the type of player people would prefer to have starting, but they both played really well. They had moments of maybe not making the best decisions, but they both stepped in and provided, you know, the defense needed to make sure Spencer Ritchie's job was pretty easy. Uh, Mickey, what did you think of, I think Shane O'Neill reasonably got lots of calls for man of the match after that one. What did you think of Shane O'Neill? Yeah. Oh, I really liked uh, what uh, Shane O'Neill did in this game and even against Portland too. I mean, he was on the end of that deflected goal, but that he was the one providing the last minute cover for mistakes elsewhere. And, you know, on a different day, that deflection goes a different way. And we're talking about how, how great a play that was for him. Um, And so I think he's been really solid, since he's been here and I think you know the complaints about him generally have to do with kind of the grass is greener uh philosophy that you always want to try to get better at that specific uh position and he is a MLS average maybe slightly above average MLS player um at one who at one point was uh in the mix for the Ireland national team so he certainly has uh some quality to him and I think you know he was just very solid last night, uh, providing cover, uh, you know, got over and made a great play uh, on a deflection as well uh, to that did go out of bounds. So kind of on that Portland tip on the goal that Portland scored um, this time around, he was able to uh, do, do the job. And so everything, you know, most everything he's done has been, has been solid, if not spectacular. And I think that's a good way to describe his general game. And, you know, I think you're getting about what you could reasonably expect from him. And I'm not sure if you're expecting more, uh, if you're expecting a defensive player of the year uh, quality play. I mean, that's that's probably a bit unrealistic, but every team needs a player like that who can fill in when a player is injured and can, you know, just generally uh, start when when you need to have rotation. And he's worked his way in to be a little bit more than that. Um, and certainly that is to be uh, appreciated, I think. And then just briefly on Ariaga, who's obviously in some ways gotten a little bit more grief than O'Neill, just because he came with a transfer fee and a higher uh, salary uh, tag. Uh, I, I, he's been pretty pretty solid these uh, the since he came back from um, from Copa, and I think we're seeing what his quality is, where he's able to anticipate balls that come his direction, cut them out. 
Uh, his passing is pretty good, uh, you know, and then there's obviously the odd mistake here, here and there, but uh, they haven't uh, generally hurt the Sounders this year. So uh, it's been a, a reassuring year from REI guy, I would say, um, in light of some of the struggles he had earlier. Dave, the Sounders have the best defensive record in the season in the league this season. They've allowed 16 goals through 20 games while using three goalkeepers. There are only a handful of teams in the league who have even used that many goalkeepers. None of them have gotten the kind of performances out of their three goalkeepers. All three, Spencer Ritchie, Steph Cleveland, and Steph Fry have at least two shutouts. Richie's have come in his only two appearances, the two Texas road wins. Uh, what have you thought of the goalkeeping performances so far? I, I chatted a little bit about this in uh, the Sounder Heart Slack, and I guess it's time to share this publicly. Um, Tommy Dutrich just keeps turning uh, barely above minimum salary guys at keeper into quality starters. Uh, most famously is Tyler Miller but there've been a handful of others that have extended their, uh, their careers because of their time with him. Brian Meredith is in, in like a 10 year career, um, mostly as a backup, but even while he was here, he was the third keeper. You look at uh, Josh Ford, who was the third keeper while he was here, went on to, I think an eight year career after getting drafted. And I think we're seeing that Stephen Cleveland is going to be better than he was. Stephen Fry is better than he was at TFC where he was a great shot stopper that saw way too many shots because that was the TFC is garbage era. Um, and now there's just so much depth in the keeper core that the Sounders can, can contemplate trading uh, a Stephen Cleveland, um, maybe a Spencer Ritchie, though the local connections might just mean that he stays for, for tiny dollars. Um, they have Andrew Thomas, who's looked incredible down at, um, Tacoma Defiance in getting about half the starts available for them. So it's a, uh, it, they've got riches there, you know, kind of like they do at center back where they have five center backs that could start for most teams, including two who um, went healthier defensive player of the year candidates. At, at this point, the, uh, the, the depth at goalkeeper is undeniable. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they uh, they do in the offseason because that is a lot of goalkeepers to have, uh, to, um, you, know, you know, quality goalkeepers to have on your roster. And it would just it seems silly to try to keep that many at that position uh, when you could potentially leverage that for some potential um, return down the line. Uh, but it does just generally speak, obviously, to uh, their, their scouting and uh, the quality of Tommy Dutra, uh, who uh, Sounders fans are probably hoping does not uh, – get a sweeter offer elsewhere because it's, um, it seems like he uh, should be in line for uh, from a promotion um, if that's something he's looking for. Um, and yeah, it, it's, it'll be interesting to see what they do in the offseason, not to get too far ahead of things, but it's been impressive what they've done uh, consistently at the goalkeeping uh, position. They've generally not really ever had an issue there as, a, as opposed to what we've seen at some other teams. You know, they went from Keller uh, to Spurning um, to Fry, and then uh, they obviously developed a few others uh, in this current um, run with the Sounders. So, yeah, obviously just um, impressive work all the way around. It's almost comical to think that also within that stretch, they had Marcus Hahnemann as a backup, as 
Dave noted, Josh Ford, who now is the goalkeeper coach for Defiance. Uh, yeah, just a, a wealth of riches. And at this point, it almost seems like I would love to have Steph Cleveland stay around forever because he seems like a great guy. But I don't think Stephen Fry is going anywhere anytime soon, health allowing. Um, and I think Cleveland has played his way into deserving a starting spot after this season. And there are plenty of teams who he would be an upgrade for. So I, I think it'll work out the best for everyone. I think they're probably going to see a, a not insignificant offer come in. Uh, one, yeah, the- one thing that is interesting uh, is if, uh, if they do get a significant offer, uh, obviously what they do there, uh, I'm not sure what the are. Do we have any expansion teams coming in next year? Because that obviously would be Charlotte, Charlotte. So Charlotte FC, who is very familiar with Seattle because their number two of scouting is Mark Nichols, yes. who used to run the academy um, and was the uh, director of coaching out here. Yeah, you have to think that they are eyeing one of several Sounders and certainly uh, finding yourself a goalkeeper in the expansion draft and the Sounders only getting 50 K for them is something they're going to be worried about. Um, if they could potentially get, you know, three or four times that, uh, you know, maybe they work out a trade uh, and they get a little bit more money to ensure that uh, uh, Charlotte would get him um, and they pay a little bit more. And then obviously that's the Sounders off the hook with the, the expansion draft, but I can't imagine they're going to do another Tyler Miller and just let him go uh, yeah. for, for the minimum amount because they, put time and resources into developing him. And he's certainly worth more than uh, $50,000 in allocation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I do want to, you know, touch on the Columbus crew game coming up this weekend, but before we go there, I think the Sounders were not the only professional Puget Sound soccer team to win an important game last night. Tacoma Defiance went to Orange County SC the team directly above them at the start of that game in the Pacific division standings in the USL championship. And they came home with a three, nothing win. Um, They are on a remarkable run, eight games unbeaten, the longest in team history, including their time as S2, uh, their third consecutive win. Dave, I know you are the resident (laughs) expert. What were your thoughts and feelings after that game? A couple things stood out to me. One is just the uh, the kind of team ethos that's taken over. We've seen that in the first team for a long time. But with Defiance and S2, there were a lot of moments in history where you could see the talent of a specific player, but you wouldn't see them play for the team. And I think that one of the differences this season has been that team ethos. The, um, there were lots of strong performances, but the way that they work together is so much different this season. You see it in their defensive network when they press high in particular. And then the other thing that stuck out was uh, they're just willing to go at uh, Orange County has a lot of veterans on it. Kevin Alston, who is a, a former top five draft pick, uh, Michael Orozco, former U.S. national team player, uh, Darwin Jones and, and Ugo Akoli, former Sounders homegrown players. Uh, it, the, the list can go. Dylan Powers, who was on trial to be a defiance player, didn't get signed here, signed there probably for more money um, and looked in effect, completely ineffective against uh, 
the 21 and 16 year olds in center mid for uh, Carlos Anguiano and Obed Vargas. Um, they don't look overpowered. And one of the, the interesting things about this uh, 4-0 and 4 run is that uh, they, they're they gaining more confidence as they go. Uh, in, in the past, again, uh, confidence has been crushed at times with, you know, losing 4-1 and then 3-1 and then 4-0 and then 5-0. Uh, those aren't going to happen um, now with the, the approach that Defiance has. Uh, Wade Weber has solidified um, – their mental space more than can be expected. Uh, it'd be nice if they had a, a consistent goal scorer because uh, for all the hype that Samuel Adinaran gets, uh, half of his goals have been um, flukes. Uh, yes, he has four total goals now, but you you can't expect to, to block a keeper's um, clearance and score that way um, more than once in a decade. Uh, so it's been interesting. Uh, they're the best defensive team in the league um, or close to at this point, Louisville City's ahead of them. Uh, and that's just another carrying on um, what the Sounders at the academy and first team level have been known for in the past. Defense first. And that's how Tacoma's winning. Yeah, what a time to decide to leave the USL just as they're getting good. Um, you know, hopefully, or maybe they uh, take a, a second look at that, but it sounds like that's kind of an MLS mandate to get all their teams there. But yeah, well, Los Dos is uh, staying in USL for one more year. Um, at least that was the last thing that the athletic had about a couple of the, the MLS twos are staying. Um, it's going to be weird for, for Tacoma. Uh, for this new league, because they will have the best attendance by far. Um, they were all, that was already too true for the MLS two sides. Uh, Tacoma's attendance was the best. And if they can maintain this run of form, they'll be the best of the teams by far. And so they're, they're not actually going to get the kind of tests that Adrian Hanauer talked about when S2 joined the USL championship. That's just not going to happen. Um, Las Vegas lights have been a challenge for them, but Los Dos has been dominated. Um, they dominated T2 last year in their last season. Um, Vancouver is going to be a startup that has no idea what they're doing. They're like playing in the BC adult amateur leagues right now with their reserve, their U23 reserves. Um, so yeah, th- th- that move is going to be uh, going to be interesting because how, uh, how challenged will Obed Vargas be against guys that aren't as good as him and are his same size? Yeah. And that's, you know, again, I'm, I would hope that they maybe would think of reconsider it and hope I've got personal reasons that I, I hope you're right. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I just, you, everything you said is, is accurate. They're just not going to get the same test at whatever that MLS, uh, you, you know, USL three or league one level is, and just as you're getting, you know, kids from the academy into and turning them into MLS players and, and you're just going to up and leave and kind of cut off that that development. Um, and hopefully they they have second thoughts about that, because this has been fun to watch the progression that I think took longer than everyone thought it would. We all remember Garth uh, three years ago uh, predicting that the uh, defiance 
or, or S2. I'm not sure if they were uh, defiant yet at that point, but predicting they would make the playoffs that year. And then they finished far, far, far from the playoffs. And he had a little bit of egg on his face, which he, to his credit, he, he acknowledged. But they finally have gotten this pipeline up and running. And it seems a shame to uh, cut it off uh, or at least cut off one path of development at, the, at this point because they're really in the place where they could really take advantage of what the USL has to offer. Yeah, and, and one of the one of the challenges there is that um, one of the things that's important about the USL is you go to Whitehorse Pass down there in uh, suburban Phoenix, and it's uh, nine thousand people screaming at you right on top of the field uh, with dollar beer nights and all of that. Uh, and we we've, we've seen what Los Dos gets for attendance. Los half of Los Dos's attendance are the friends and family of the Sounders Academy players and Randy Mendoza and that kind of thing. Um, they're not going to, you know, those two, two environments are very different. Um, and it's awesome to watch El Paso and New Mexico, um, Reno when it existed, uh, Vegas, when they were an independent side, did a great job filling the stands, uh, now with COVID who knows, but, you know, there are some teams that really show, um, San Diego loyal, there are teams in the Pacific and in, in the mountain conference or division that do a great job of having the fans apply a little bit extra pressure. And Josh Atencio talked about it. You know, he, the difference between going on the field with 2,500 at Cheney versus road games with 7,000 versus uh, his first Sounders home game was merely 28,000 or some such, but that's a huge jump in scale. You know, Um, it's just different. And I, I think that, um, I, I understand the league's point, but if I, I, uh, I think that these players mature faster when they have the challenge of a massive fan base looming over them. And I, obviously that's what Tacoma wants. Uh, that's why they talked about the stadium. Um, that's why they rebranded um, and had stronger attendance at Cheney than they did all but one year at Starfire. Uh, they wanted that environment there. And, and so far, um, they're the only ones of the MLS two sides that have figured out how to do it. Right. It seems very much counter to the way that they've talked about using whatever the developmental squad between the Academy and the Sounders first team is where if you drop down to a third division league where you are effectively playing as a, you know, USL one team instead of USL three, you are putting the gap in development in the wrong place, especially not operating a U19 Academy team because it was basically redundant and effectively a place for guys that weren't likely to make the jump to MLS to play at. Now you you know, you drop the level of that team a level down and the gap between that and MLS is even bigger. It's harder to push those guys up a level and get them the experience they need to succeed at the USL level. You know, we've seen, we talked earlier about the extreme hardship guys who came up and won that game in Austin and played as much as they could. Obed Vargas in particular stands out in that respect where 
he came up. He looked not bad against MLS talent. Now he looks legitimately very good at the USL championship level. If, you know, the guys who are currently playing with the U15s, the guys who were introduced at the event recently, if those guys are just playing at the level down in this MLS reserve league, it's going to be much harder to push them up and get them experience at the first team level. Uh, I, I could see a scenario where maybe they try to operate both Tacoma defiance and a Sounders two team, but I think clearly none of us have the answers to that. We are not in those rooms having those conversations. That seems unlikely in light of the fact that the reason for their move down is, is partly financial, um, maybe mostly financial as far as travel costs are concerned. At least that's what Garth has said before, but I don't know. We'll, we'll see what they do. Yeah, but it's been interesting, you know, to, to circle back to towards the first team, uh, because that's what most of Sounder Heart readers want is um, there's been a lot of guys this year who look like they can be deep bench players um, for an MLS side. And I think, you know, that's what the Academy Academy has been good at producing. Uh, but Issa Ryan looks like he can be a backup right back whenever the team wants him to be a backup right back. Uh, Alex Villanueva looks to be a fun and funky uh, left wing back who will contribute in the attack for a few years kind of thing. Obed Vargas is a center mid um, kind of in the Christian Roldan mode in that he can play kind of wherever you put him and he'll find a way to contribute. Samuel Adinaran is a defense first forward who um, if he improves his scoring can be a, a, a contributor as a third or fourth forward for it. So like, there's a list of ga- guys who look fairly ready right now. And I could go on a few more. Whereas it, at some periods of time, I'd be like, well, there's only two or three guys that look ready and two of them are very deep positions. So they're not going to get a call. Uh, whereas now uh, I might go seven deep with guys who, uh, could get a homegrown deal or in some cases just a supplemental roster deal like a Dineron or a Rayon would likely get. Um, and, you know, great defiance are winning. I, I, I'm thrilled about that. I love that because I covered the team for Sounder at Heart and I'm still on the broadcast. Winning is awesome, but they're also producing uh, talent that looks to be um, in that hole of the donut that Garth wanted to fill from the Academy. Whereas in the past, it was guys that could contribute like five minutes a month or national team quality. Now there looks to be guys like a Josh Atencio and a Danny Leva who can be rotational, uh, more players down there who can be at that rotational level, be regulars in the match day 20 and be seeing the pitch. Part of it's because yes, five subs are allowed, but there's just more quality in that, that hole that fills the gap. And that's what Sounders fans should be excited about because they've got the, the first team roster has room for probably two more signings uh, from either the Academy or defiance at this point. And uh, it's going to be a challenge for them to figure out how that's only two players. I don't think, I don't think anybody deserves the, uh, they also have one full senior slot open that wouldn't cost them cap money, but I don't think any of these guys are, are worth giving that bump all the way up to the, the full senior 
salary. Um, but there's several that are worth the minimum or a homegrown deal right now. Having circled back to the first team, probably a good opportunity to discuss the game on Saturday, like a 2.30 kickoff. So a, a nice East Coast after, well, not East Coast, but afternoon game for us to watch. Uh, the Sounders head to Columbus to face the crew. A uh, little bit of an opportunity for revenge, having lost MLS Cup final to them, although I don't know how much that's really going to inform anyone's decision-making on the field. I think Sounders are probably going to want to win this one on the merits of a win. Uh, how are you feeling about this game, Mickey? Yeah, obviously I uh, followed the crew a little bit uh, closer than uh, most uh, Sounders fans, uh, given uh, their legal uh, entanglements in, in the past. Uh, so, yeah, it's been interesting to watch them from a bit of a distance because they are clearly not having the season that they thought they were going to have. I think everyone picked them as a favorite to get back to MLS Cup, if not win it, based on all of the additions that they made. Everyone crowned them as the uh, MLS uh, offseason champions, uh, for sure, bringing in guys like Molino and Bradley Bradley. Bradley Wright Phillips uh, as, you know, uh, Molino to start, but uh, Phillips is essentially a depth piece, and that's a pretty good one to have, you'd think, uh, uh, his age aside. Uh, but something has just not worked for them this year. Uh, they've had some injuries similar to the Sounders. Uh, Aiden Morris, uh, who gave the Sounders all sorts of trouble in MLS Cup, um, went out with an ACL injury. Um, right before the season started or right as the season started. Um, but just generally speaking, they just have not been the same team. Now, whether that's partly MLS Cup hangover, we know that does affect teams uh, and has affected teams in the past, specifically Caleb Porter teams, uh, as his Timbers, uh, after they won the title, did not even make the playoffs uh, the following year. Um, and so, uh, yeah, they, I think it's just a combination of some injuries, uh, a bit of a hangover, um, and just uh, what, you know, you know, Caleb Porter just not pushing the right buttons um, as he did last year. And all of that has just uh, conspired to have them on just on the outside of the playoffs looking in. That said, they are still a dangerous team. Uh, they will still have mostly their full complement of attackers uh, in uh, Josh Zardes, uh, Zella Rayon, um, and Molino, who I mentioned before. Um, their defense is certainly not what uh, you would expect of an MLS uh, uh, title contending team. But again, it's a road match. Uh, the Sounders will be on their third game in basically seven days. And even though they had uh, were able to eke out the win in Dallas uh, with rotation and therefore should be able to start mostly a first choice lineup um, in Columbus, uh, it's, certain, it's still going to be a difficult game for them to win. But their game is there for them to take, uh, given all of the circumstances that uh, we find in front of us. And they certainly are uh, no worse uh, than even uh, odds to at least get a result out of the game. Um, and that would put them at seven points uh, out of nine. And I think every Sounders fan would take that um, in a heartbeat if you gave it to them ahead of this match. Uh, but of course, when you've got two games on the road that you pick up the all full points in, you want the, you want the third. So they'll certainly be going for it. Yeah. And when you mentioned the, the rest, uh, I was just reviewing in my head. So no, no laptop in front of me. So I think I'm going to do this right. The only player 
to go more than 60 in both matches, I want to say, was Javier Arriaga. That sound about right to the. That sounds, that sounds about right. Yeah, because obviously yeah. Goldman and JP switched off uh, um, in this last one. Yeah, so they both got a half. So and every, I mean everything got so heavily rotated. Oh, Shane O'Neill. That was my my other thought. I was pretty sure he yeah. had played a lot. But center backs just tend not to need as much rotation. Um, and as we've been saying for months now, Nuhu should be back any day. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's, it's a uh, it's it's interesting that that heavy of a rotation that that Schmetz has been using uh, on these Austin or on these Texas midweek trips um, gives him the opportunity to essentially go in with a rested squad because he could, outside of the center back situation, um, basically start his six all stars. Um, for the first time in ages, if Nuhu is actually fully fit, as well as uh, Alec, uh, a couple other guys, and all of a sudden it's a it's a fully rested and and healthy uh, battle station ready to go to Columbus, who, um, as Mickey brought up, is uh, they're in some throws that might wind up. Uh, I mean, they're the type of of down, downward spiral that gets coaches fired right now. Um, that's how poorly that they've done. So um, I'll be hella greedy and say, go for three. Um, and if they only get one, great. But this is a side they should beat, and they're basically rested. Yeah, yeah they this... can absolutely go for it. Uh, and they, I'm sure they will at this point. They've got uh, a week off after this, more than a little more than a week off. All-star game notwithstanding, and certainly Schmetzer's not going to really consider that in his calculations uh, of, of player loads. Uh, uh, although we may have to worry about what uh, Bob Bradley does <laughs> with his players uh, during that game. But yeah, uh, it's there for them uh, to take uh, all three points and uh, should be a good game. Yeah, this one's got, you know, not to jinx it, I'll knock on wood, but this game's got all the makings for a, a trap game. But, you know, I... I think they're going to get a fresh Raul Rui Diaz who's on a hot streak. If Schmetzer needs the additional motivation, he can bring up wanting revenge for the MLS Cup. And if they can get nine points from this three-game road trip, that you know won't completely make up for a very disappointing one-point homestand, but it will go a long ways to getting there and might not quite put them back in in supporter shield contention unless New England falls off over the next week or two, but it will certainly solidify their their spot at the top of the West. Um, I, I think that's probably a good place to end this one. Thanks to Dave Clark and Mickey Turner. I'm Tim Foss, and we'll catch you next time.